Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1940 film, The Shop Around the Corner. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing well as usual, Sam. Looking forward to it. Barrett, I have to say this, um, when you started to talk about this movie, uh, and I looked into it a little bit, and I sort of knew it's... Um, the offspring that this movie has, I thought, I don't know if this is going to be like, this seems like lighter fare. I'm not sure this is going to be something for me. I just want to say right at the top, I loved this movie. This is a, it's a delightful, interesting movie. It goes in directions I didn't expect. Um, I, I watched this with my daughter and we were both kind of blown away. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. It was so much more than I thought it was going to be. Even when it started, I thought, Oh, okay, this is, yeah, it's it's fine. And then I as I as it went on, I just thought it is so well executed. Mm -hmm. uh, I just I think it's great. So uh, to start off, what is your history with this film specifically? And then I want to talk about Ernst Lubitsch uh, more generally. Yeah, I, I I first saw this film a number of years ago, Sam. I can't remember. It would it would have been uh, probably on DVD in the '90s, and I'm not sure. Probably because I was aware of You've Got Mail. And uh, I've actually never seen You've Got Mail, uh, but I was aware of it, and I knew the reference to to the Lubitsch original. So that's why that's when I went back and watched it. I think it probably was a pretty bad print, um, so I'm not sure that I got all the visual stuff. But I just, yeah, and I've always been a sucker for Jimmy Stewart as well. So the combination of Jimmy Stewart and Lubitsch was great. All right. Well, I just need to say really early in the film or really early in the podcast, this is two people talking about the shop around the corner who haven't seen You've Got Mail then because I've never seen it either. <laughs> um, so 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 we'll just put those cards on the table uh, right right away. Um, so who is Ernst Lubitsch? The, I got to say the first time I ever heard of him was watching Sullivan's Travels because he mm. gets name checked a few times in that great opening scene where they're talking about directors and, and movies. Um, so like, like who is he? What does it mean to watch an Ernst Lubitsch film? Knowing that as I read about this film, everybody kept saying, this is such a departure for him, but it also maybe is his best movie. So I, I heard, I read multiple reviews say that. So so what is what is an Ernst, Ernst Lubitsch film? Who is he? Yeah, yeah, those are good questions, Sam. So first of all, Lubitsch is one of many uh, emigres who come to Hollywood, um, like Billy Wilder. Um, Wilder comes from Austria. Lubitsch came from Germany. Uh, Lubitsch was an actor in Germany and a filmmaker before he came to Hollywood, well before the war. He was in Hollywood in the early 30s. Um, and he's kind of known for making um, kind of elegant comedies of manner manners that, um, especially some of his comedies right before the Hayes Code uh, went into effect in 1934, that were a little bit racy, but he's kind of known for um, uh, elegance and a kind of understated sexuality. So uh, especially because of what the code often requires, uh, he kind of leaves it to the audience to fill in some of the some of the nuances that uh, are, are implied. And that's one of the ways in which I think Shop Around the Corner is a departure. Shop Around the Corner, it's it's elegant. It's it's deliberately given a European setting. Um, you can see how it's a, a kind of an observation of social manners. But it doesn't have the um, the innuendo that you often get in, in a Lubitsch film. It's much more upfront about the kind of romantic issues that it's engaging. There's no there's no real sexual uh, innuendo as there often is in, in some of Lubitsch's comedies. Um, but people talk about Lubitsch. Uh, you know, we talked last week briefly about the so-called Lubitsch touch. 
which which everybody talks about, but nobody can really define. And some people even doubt that it exists. Um, I actually watched a video of Billy Wilder explaining supposedly to a group of film students what the Lubitsch touch was. And he, he really couldn't give a definition of it. Instead, what he did was he gave an example of a scene in a Lubitsch film that kind of shows how Lubitsch finds a a very indirect way to make a to make a joke or a way you don't quite expect to make a joke. So I think part of the Lubitsch touch is a kind of subtle subtlety as well as as well as elegance. And there's a famous anecdote that at Lubitsch's funeral in, from 1947, 1940, something like that, somebody said, I think it was to Wilder, uh, you know, no more, no more Lubitsch. And he said, yeah, but even worse, no more Lubitsch films. Hmm. <laughs> um, so are are actually Lubitsch touch was another question that I had because I, I all the reviews talk about like it's just a, it, it it is a phrase that gets dropped but I I had not seen a definition so I was going to ask you you know kind of what that is so I think that that gives me a little bit to think about um he's well, definitely I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you another example Sam okay. because again people keep defining the Lubitsch touch by giving examples and there is an example from shop around the corner that I should have mentioned um in the conversation between uh Pirovich, uh, you know the little, the guy with the mustache and the big nose and 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 uh, and Krolik. when he's trying when uh, the when uh, Jimmy Stewart's character is thinking about maybe I'll skip out on decorating the window so I can make this this appointment. Um, Pirovich is making making it clear that implying that his loss of employment if he does that might be more catastrophic for a budding romance than not keeping the single dinner date. So that that is an example, a little bit of that Lubitsch touch, where as I said, it's kind of kind of subtle or implied. Another thing that people say about the Lubitsch touch is he makes the audiences work a little bit. Mm-hmm. Thinking of Pirovich, and I want we'll come back to him, but one of the things you mentioned was this having uh, a European setting. That was one of the things that jumped out at me. So this is set in Budapest, right? But yeah. uh, Pirovich seems European, but uh, I guess Vardis does too. But everybody else seems pretty American. Uh, are we? And, it, and I'm going to ask a question that I actually don't care about, but 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 it has to be asked. Like, are we to believe these are all Americans living in Budapest because they clearly seem to be Americans, or is it just is are, is this like a a film that is dubbed so we're getting the English the English dub, but in reality, this these people would all be Hungarians or, or like like. Well, <laughs> that's a really good question. One 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 of uh, Lubitsch's biographers says that most of Lubitsch's films take place in Lubitsch land, uh, and I think that's the way to approach it. I, I think it's I think it's identified as hungry when there's no reason it needs to be hungry. I think it's identified as hungry because, um, you know, the war is just starting. And I think there's almost a nostalgia for a Europe that's disappearing. Uh, and I think maybe that's what Lubitsch sort of wants, sort of wants to evoke. Mm-hmm. Well, and in that way, we can loosely connect it with, uh, with last week's film, right? Yeah. You know, that it's set in a, yeah. in a, you know, that was in, I can't remember the name of the country, but it was not a real country, right? This, if this is Lubitsch land, which is also hung, Budapest, Hungary, or like, like, I think that that works because you definitely hear echoes about things happening in the world a little bit, but it's, but there, it, even that, even that is kind of uh, vaguely alluded to mm-hmm. uh, more so maybe the depression than, um, than the war. I actually, I don't, there isn't really reference to the war in this, is there? No, no, there really isn't. No, like I said, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a place out of time in a, in, in, a, mm-hmm. in a sense. And and I think maybe that's what Lubitsch was kind of going after. In a sense, um, 
you know, it's not America. It, it is Europe, but it's it's Hungary, which is kind of a backwater in, in, in a sense. So I think he, he kind of wants to have a, he really does want to kind of create its own place. And really, you know, the only, there's only two locations in the film and really it's just the shop. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I, I guess I need to also ask, you, you mentioned not having seen uh, You've Got Mail. Are you generally a fan of the uh, of romantic comedies that could be like old Hollywood romantic comedies or sort of more modern sort of post-1989 rom-coms? Is, is this a is this a genre you're interested in? Um, slightly. I think, okay. uh, you know, rom-coms are not must-see viewing for me. It really, it really depends on the actors and, and the, and the rom-com. Um, but I'm also recall, recalling uh, a very early conversation we had last year, Sam, about bringing up Baby. Um, and uh, not a lot about that movie with this. Yeah, and, and, and we talked about it as maybe in, in some respect as a screwball comedy, of course, but we did talk about it as a kind of archetype for a certain sort of rom-com. And I would say Shop Around the Corner is an archetype for another, a different kind of rom-com that if it's done really well the way it's done in this film, um, I am interested in it, but that means it has to have really smart, writing um and really interesting plot twists and not not and, and not necessarily well of course it's hard to avoid a formula that's what a rom-com is but but that plays with the formula in a way that is interesting so i think the way this film does that to kind of get ahead of ourselves a little bit i think the way this film does that is the reveal that jimmy stewart gets that margaret sullivan doesn't get because mm -hmm. in a typical rom-com from what I know, usually the reveal comes at, at the same time. Uh, but in this case, he's put in a, in a, in a, in a different position. So I, I like I like a rom-com that acknowledges the genre, but then plays with it. Mm -hmm. I have to say, so so when we when we watched this, um, I watched it, like I said, I watched it with my daughter, and we got to the end, and she said, man, I feel like I've seen this before, like I, and I've seen this story before, and I believe she also has not seen you've got mail but but i was also like well this is this is this is sort of an old story like this is this is not a, a new thing i don't know I, one of my favorite professors when i was a student here at bethel was kevin craig uh, and i took a, a class in roman civ with him and we read some roman comedies some roman uh, plays and he always talked about how the romans basically created every sitcom trope in their <laughs> plays um, and I don't know if there is a Roman a Roman comedy that is this, but my I was thinking this morning, and I thought if the Romans didn't write this plot, it's only because the empire fell before they got around to it. Like this feels <laughs> like it could have been something that goes back. Like this this idea just works, and I really love that. Well, yeah, that's it's interesting you should bring that up, Sam, because um, I, I was uh, as you know as as you know you and I serve served together on the honors committee, and we read. We read student essays and we we'll ask students to talk about a work of say literature or a film that they think is overrated. And I had to laugh uh, a couple of weeks ago reading an essay uh, ta uh, taking Pride and Prejudice. No, no, I'm sorry, Jane Eyre. Taking Jane Eyre to task because it was it was so formulaic and this kind of thing had been it, it, it was so cliche. And I felt like saying to the student, No, 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 no. This this is one of the works that created the cliche. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so is this a a departure for how is this a departure for Lubitsch? We talked a little bit about mm -hmm. um you know how this is different than his other films. Um I mean can you be a little bit more specific at like like if if I were to watch 
Um, I believe you talked about to be or not to be last week as another one. I was I was looking through Criterion Channel. There's lots of Lubitsch on there to watch. Um, what would I if I were to watch those? What would I see different? Well, I think part of it is what I said earlier, Sam. I think I think that those films often have a lot more in terms of a, a kind of well. There, there's always a relationship between the sexes going on, but I think in those other films, it is a lot more about sex. Okay. Um, one of the things I really like about this film where I think it is a departure is that this is a couple in shop around the corner who are really trying to fall in love with each other's minds. And they're really trying in a, a sense almost to ignore the sexual aspect of attraction. I mean, he is concerned about whether she's good looking and he's, she's a little bit concerned about whether or not he's bow legged, but, but by and large, this is a film about, this is a story about people who are trying to be attracted to each other's character and minds. And in a sense, the film is kind of playing with the question of whether that's actually possible and or desirable. But that's, to me, that's a departure for, for, for Lubitsch. I think the other way in which is a departure is I think there's a sweetness to this film that I don't find often in other, in other Lubitsch films. He's never, I would, I would, would not say he's ever strongly satirical, um, but he often isn't as warm in some respects as he is in this film. I would say the other, uh, if, if we're thinking about uh, about this movie, the other thing that jumped out at me that really made me love it, um, and it's it's and it is because, yes, this is in some ways like a perfect example of a romantic comedy. At the same time, it's also a workplace comedy mm. that you get this cast of care. I loved being in that shop. Like if Shop Around the Corner was a it was a series. I would watch that. I like the cast of characters. I find their interplay interesting. I find the running jokes that happen. You know, even within this film, we get running. We get running jokes that you could imagine in a series would be this kind of thing that keeps happening. Like every time uh, Matichek says, "I want you to tell me, tell me honestly." Don't or I don't remember the words he says, but like, like, don't tell me what I want to hear. Give me your honest opinion. Um, I think is it Pirovich that always like runs upstairs to like avoid because yes. <laughs> he knows that that's a trap. Um, and like I, I and I love the I love the interplay. And one of the things that where, where this is really great is the opening scene of this film is so fantastic for introducing you to all of the not all of the characters but 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 many of the characters who we we're going to see in the story. Now one now one thing I will say is that I feel like it introduces you to the male characters in the store as I was going through writing about everybody that gets introduced. There are the women who work in the store um beyond Clara and I feel like they're they I have a little less sense of like okay this is who they are. They feel a little more generic to me and maybe I just wasn't paying attention but I feel like like the, some of the other characters in the store, I mean, you, you know, they're all waiting to get into to work, right? So they all arrive before Matichek does, and you learn like that Kralik has had dinner with the boss, um, that he's started this this um, letter relationship, right? He seems like he's an important person at the store, even though he's clearly not the person with the keys to the store, right? But mm. everybody kind of looks at him as sort of in charge. You get Pirovich, who we see is like you know, tries to be a good friend and a good family man. He's also money conscious. He has that moment where he runs away to try to get the doctor to not come because then they don't have to charge <laughs> yes. him. You see that Vardis is always like trying to work an angle and he's trying to like twist people's words around. So everybody's very defensive against Vardis when he's like this, like, well, I didn't say that. I only said this. You can't, you know, so, so he's, you see, he, he's um from the very beginning, you see him scheming in a kind of way. Uh, and then we also meet meet Pepe at this at this point too, because oh, yeah. he comes up and and we see that he's 
uh, kind of put upon, um, but he's also a climber. I like that 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 Pepe's like like he and Vardis kind of race for the car door to see who can open <laughs> it for Matichek, and then we see Matichek as the person literally with the keys to open up the store, and he's sort of the the person of power in the store, the gravity, the gravitational force that people kind of need to to center on. All that gets introduced really cleanly mm-hmm. um, in the first few minutes of this movie. It's really fantastic. Yeah, Pepe is kind of the uh, um, the zero character from Grand Budapest Hotel. The, the other thing is interesting to, get, to go back to what you said about being a workplace comedy. It did strike me at one point, Sam, as I was looking at all of them together in the shop, that um, it was very reminiscent of the old BBC sitcom, Are You Being Served? Hmm. Which is uh, which is all about the interaction among these various characters in a British uh, department store. I so so the other thing we should mention, as long as we're talking about the uh, the the cast at the beginning, is um, make sure that folks recognize who Frank Morgan is. Um, he of course is the Wizard of Oz, um, and a a really uh, a really highly regarded character actor in, in Hollywood at the time. Yeah, that was a little bit of a struggle for me at first because he is so clearly the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and this would have been the year after, I think. Yeah, that, exactly. Is, is like 39, yeah. So he's so identifiable as that to me that it took me a little bit. And then he became Matichek as the, because he's actually, he's great in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you know, sure. as this, again, the person who's in charge, but also like has his insecurities. And and um, so, so this, I think, leads into the introduction of Clara, which is also so perfectly done that that um because what that what we need to do there is we need to establish the tension between these two people um and they do such a great job and i, I will say again uh i i i do not mean to 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 criticize uh bringing up baby anymore but this movie i believed these two so much because <laughs> i believed their dislike for each other in person like like or maybe not dislike but like the tension between them where she's clearly coming in looking for a job and he's trying to like once he realizes that's what she wants he's trying to just kind of get her out cuz it's like well that's not going to happen and then they're both working matichek the thing with the cigar box <laughs> i mean as a running bit but even like uh, I mean, I think it's it's funny. It's funny to think back, you know, uh, eighty years that you would use the the music box to keep you from eating chocolates, but you wouldn't want it to keep you from smoking cigarettes. <laughs> um, but how they both have their little sales pitches, why this is a good idea or a bad idea, and it's like that that tells you so much about those characters. It also tells you how uh, capable both those characters are as salespeople. But then we get the joke later that her sales pitch apparently worked on one person right <laughs> but 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 yeah but nobody else could uh nobody else could get them but i i really love that that introduction of that character because at the same time even before we know that they're the same people that are writing the letters like we believe that they have this deep connection with the person they're writing the letters to and they appear to have this deep antipathy for the person that they work with and that, that and the fact that we get keyed into that before they do is kind of great yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, it, it, the fact that she is in the short run right and in the long run r- r- wrong about the box, um, to me, is is indicative of some of the, the sexual politics in the film. And, and one of the ways in which, if I were taking a feminist uh, perspective on it, I would be critical of the film, because ultimately, he has the upper hand in almost every respect. Um, turns out, hey, he actually is a superior salesman. Uh, it turns out, you know, he's the one that gets to determine 
how the rest of the relationship unfolds once he actually knows um, who she is. So that's, I, I mean, I think that's one of the ways in which um, as a rom-com, it's maybe different from what we would see in more contemporary films where there's more of a sense of kind of an equality of, of, of the sexes. Well, it's interesting because it is interesting to think about if you reworked this exact same film, but had her be the one who discovered who he was and mm -hmm. so, because that, that is a major source of power for him, um, which is, which is in the story is kind of happenstance. You could have, you could have flipped, you would have had the exact same setup and just flipped who was sitting in the cafe and who walked up to the right. cafe and noticed them. And that would have been, that would be very interesting. Like a, like an alternate version of this movie to say, well, what if you did that? Um, because I'll, cause a lot of the other pieces you could keep the same, but those dynamics would shift. Of course, you know, I'm glad you brought up the cafe scene, which is one of the great scenes in, in, in the film. Um, and, and that's the scene in which she actually does have the upper hand and she she lands a lot of blows. Yes. Uh, right. And, and he's really got it. So he really has to kind of come to grips with with that. And so there's a there's a response required of him uh, that actually reflects the fact that, you know, she's she's kind of taken it out on him in ways that are not entirely unreasonable. Now he's got to figure out what to do with that. Well, and it's great because th when they shift the setting, they're no longer at work. So he is no longer her yes. superior, right? And and she's also freed up because she has this other person that she's waiting for. So so she actually, in the same way he's trying to dismiss her at the beginning of the the movie in the store, he's now in the in the cafe. She's trying to get him out of the way because she has something she needs to do. Now we don't she doesn't realize that he is the person she's waiting for. But, um, but yeah, I loved how, like, how mean that got. Oh, because yeah. again, because again, like it, it, it really shows, uh, I wouldn't have liked it if, if it, if it was like, oh, we're seeing them sort of fall in love in two separate ways and then realizing it's the same person. I really like that. And I buy that. She does not like him. <laughs> she finds him and, and, and he does a good job of being, unlikable to her like like mm -hmm. I, I you know and i i really do because what because what's interesting is is you know even that is not about like physical attraction right like like their their workplace tension is about like a different aspect of their personality or maybe facades that they put up if what they're writing is more sort of honest about their minds and their hearts it's interesting to be like well which one is really them you know this is this is a, a couple where it's like oh i'd love to see them in you know in a few years or a few months and be like well are they actually more the people who have this tension right. you know when they're face to face or are they actually the people who write letters back and forth to each other i and i i love i love that we don't get a full resolution to that well, and, and what I like about that, Sam, is that it, it, it kind of illustrates the notion that technology is simply a human amplifier. Because, you know, we live in an age right now, right, where we talk about how do people represent themselves on social media? And, you know, it's possible to take on entirely new identities. And, you know, literally, you can have an avatar. So there's all, all different ways that you can represent, misrepresent, reinvent yourself uh, in in those various venues, but the letter writing in this film has that has that same purpose, and and really raises interesting issues about um, you know what does it mean to what does it mean to know the totality of a person? Uh, what is it you know what does it mean when there's a discrepancy between the way you present in one way and the way you present in another way? You know, is the letter writing simply an effort to 
represent the best of themselves. Uh, they seem to think that it's a way to represent their essential selves. But I think the film is showing us, no, that's not your essential self. That's that's part of who you are, but you're also this person who's capable of being kind of really nasty at work. Uh, you're also this person who's capable of being really judgmental. I mean, there's so you can't boil yourself down to the best self that you represent through these letters that, that you're writing. And so to me, that's part of what the film is trying to say, that we have to, we have to look at each other in terms of who we are uh, holistically and not just in terms of one aspect or, or another. Well, and I would say, arguably, um, I think that this relationship has more hope because yeah. it's not just we wrote these letters to each other where we were kind of potentially manipulating ourselves, but they've already seen the worst of the other person. So it's like, okay, now I have hope for them because they also, they, they see what's beautiful in the other person, but they also know this is this, like, they'll never, they'll never get to forget the fact that we were very cruel to each other. And that's part of this too. So, so in that way, like, it's an interesting way to create a, a couple at the end of this that you can say like, Okay, this is a this is a Hollywood ending, maybe, but at the same time, like I have hope for them because you know what? I think they could survive disagreements and fights because that's already in their part of their relate part of the origins of their relationship is that um, you know that that they're um, that they've already expressed some of that stuff. I think that you know in some ways gives me hope for them. I, I, yeah, and I also think it makes the 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 whole the whole problem of the whole question of the reveal quite different because, you know, traditionally you've got this idea, okay, I've had this pen pal and this other correspondence and I'm going to meet the person and gee, I, I hope the person isn't too unattractive. You know, I, I hope, I hope the person doesn't fail to meet whatever my standards of attractiveness might be. But in this film, that really has nothing to do with it, right? It's, oh my gosh, you're that person I already know. I already know what you look like. That's not even an issue. The problem is you're you. And so, and so it's real, to me, that makes it much more interesting than the idea of, oh, gee, you know, you're 50 pounds overweight or, you know, you're too, too, too short. It's much more, it's, I've known you all along but I haven't known you all along. And now I got to figure out how, how or whether or not I want to know you all over again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I love about the, the, the cafe scene is, um, I mean, he's in the outside part of the cafe scene, but this is some great Pirovich as well, because this is also uh, kind of a romantic comedy uh, trope too, is like the best friend who's there. I'm not that Pirovich is his best friend, but he seems like his only friend, yeah. you know, and he, he's like trying to encourage him. He's also trying to be like, okay, let's, you know, like when he gets fired, like the, the whole thing about like, okay, what are we going to, um, you know, how, how am I going to pick you back up and all this stuff? Like, I really, I loved the character of Pirovich um, in this and he's somebody who didn't need to be as central as he is to this, but I think, I think the story works so much better. And um, I love, I don't know that actor at all, but I love, mm. I love him in this movie. I think he's, I think, I think he's a pretty key factor. Yeah, and I think, and yeah, and, and you're, yeah, you're right. You need you, because, and it's also interesting how he develops a little bit because initially he just seems to be like comic relief. You know, as you talked about earlier, every every time he hears the, the boss is going to ask for somebody's opinion, you know, he disappears so he doesn't have to say what he doesn't want to have to say. But but then he develops, so he becomes not just a type, but he actually, I think, he becomes a character we actually care about. Uh, and he, and I think it's also interesting that. 
we never see anybody's domestic life except Clara a little a little bit. But I, I actually believe in Pirovich and his children and his child and his wife. And, and 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 to me, he's got kind of a there's a fullness about his character that isn't entirely necessary, but really helps. Absolutely. And then so so this cafe scene leads to another fantastic i mean it's not a long scene but the uh the post office scene oh, yes. where it's like shot through from the i mean it, it actually looks like it's shot at the bethel po's right because yep. when you're in the post office like you have these boxes and you can I've, I've always ever since i was a student here whenever i would would stuff po's i always wanted to be looking as somebody opened up the box because i thought that would be so interesting and the fact that lubich has that scene in the movie where you see it scrolls over to box 237 and then you see it open and you 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 can kind of make her out and you see the hand searching for something in there and it's uh i think that is such a such a powerful scene because you also realize that she obviously the her uh her pen pal didn't show up or she didn't realize that he did right so to her mind he didn't show up so she's looking for like the where where is the letter where is the explanation so it's this great shot of this person who's kind of in this desperate moment searching for a lifeline and it not being there. I just think that is such a beautiful shot. Well, you know, David Thompson, who is one of those critics that I probably disagree with more than I agree with. Um, but when I agree with him, I really agree with him. He actually singles out that scene, um, kind of describing it just the way you did, Sam. He says that he says the shot of Sullivan's gloved hand and then her ruined face searching an empty mailbox for a letter is one of the most fragile moments in film for an instant the ravishing sullivan looks old and ill touched by loss and i and and, and he he actually calls shop around the corner uh, among the greatest of all films he calls hmm. it a love story about a couple too much in love with love to fall tidily into one another's arms which is a nice description but yeah that 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 scene is just um it is it's 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 it, in the middle of this comedy it's and that's another thing I think we might call the Lubitsch touch, right? The the ability to create these tragic moments of deep feeling, even in the middle of a comic uh, film. Which leads me to the biggest shock of the movie as I was watching it, because it does sort of feel like we're kind of floating through like this. It's like, it doesn't feel like too heavy of a movie compared to other things we've watched here. Um, and then we get to the scene. Um, so, uh, another thing that happens in romantic comedies is often there is a moment of sort of uh, mistaken identity or something which which mm -hmm. complicates the plot. This has a moment of mistaken identity in a different way, yeah. uh, and it turns very dark. I was watching it with my when I, when I was watching it with my daughter when um, after uh, Matichek gets the phone call. I think it's the phone call from the private eye or the private eye comes by. I can't well, remember. He comes in. Yeah, he comes he, in. He yeah. lays the evidence out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Matichek goes into his office. I almost turned to my daughter and said jokingly, wow, they're setting this up like he's going to hang himself. And then I realized that's what they're setting up. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. going to shoot himself, but, but, but it, like the, the movie took a, uh, a very different turn that I didn't expect. And it, and, and it's, it pays off in such an interesting way too, because it it is the thing which brings Kralik back to the store. It's the yep. thing which where where Pepe like kind of gets to elevate himself, um, where we see him kind of be the uh, heroic figure in a kind of way because everybody else is gone and he's the one who's there to um, to find him and to bring him to the doctor. And what I love is that Pepe stays there and he's he's there caring for Matichek because 
Obviously, Mrs. Matichek is probably not going to be doing that at this point. Um, and Pepe, even on the phone, like stands up for for Matichek when the wife calls. And uh, yet again, another character who could just be this kind of background character in the in the workplace comedy, like in that section of the film, moves up to be a far more significant character. And I I really liked that. Um, and that was that that whole plot line was wholly unexpected. Well, it's interesting, Sam, your response to that scene is exactly what I was talking about earlier in terms of how Lubitsch makes the audience do the work or expects the audience to do the work. So when that door closes and you think to yourself, even if it's jokingly, he's going to hang himself, you're actually doing what Lubitsch wants you to do. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, and it's also, you know, that's part of how Lubitsch works, but it's also part of the code, right? So you're not going to show the man putting the gun to his head. But you show you show the 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 Pepe rushing in. You show the blast. Um, nobody ever actually has to say he's tried to kill himself. No, he doesn't have to show it. But you, as the audience, infer what's going on, and that's how Lubitsch kind of draws you into the into the scene. Is in a sense, it's more powerful than showing you what's happening. It's more because your imagination is, is investing in it. It's uh, it's it's like Shakespeare's Macbeth, where the murders happen off stage. Uh, and you, they happen within the, within the realm of your imagination. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because when, when Pepe goes in and, and the gun goes off, my daughter and I both looked at each other and we're just like, oh my goodness, this has become, well, it's, if my first thought was, this has become another movie. And in reality, it's like, this is life. Like, like, like life is not just this one thing. It is this other thing. And it, I mean, it deepens the Matichek character and you realize like, this guy's suffering some real pain, you know, cause like, like that's not a, that's not a uh, quick solution you go to in your life. Like, like this. So, so, so that one little thing deepens him out and then it makes you look back at other parts of the movie um, and think, okay, well, does this, does this explain other things about, I mean, we know that the wife had been calling about needing money for this or that. Mm -hmm. um, but also like, does this speak to his kind of insecurity in general in the store where he's constantly trying to have other people like reaffirm the things he thinks are right. You know, it's like, well, cause this guy has a, a home life that's falling apart and he's aware of it and he's becoming more and more aware of it. Um, I found that, I just find that really interesting. I kind of want to rewatch the movie knowing this is happening in his life and seeing like our, how much of his actions and, and the things that maybe even seem a little erratic about him, which reads as comedy initially, like might feel a little like little a little deeper even like okay well this is this guy has this other drama happening much like Pirovich's family life is happening off screen Matichek's is happening off screen as well well and and it's also i think it's it, it, what's also interesting is that with with Matichek and the unhappy marriage you have one way of one one male female relationship you've got Pirovich and a happy marriage uh, you, you've got Vardis uh, and the adulterous relationship, and then you've got um, Kralik and Clara trying to figure out how to come together. So he's kind of got he's kind of got the whole spectrum, uh, in a sense. The other thing that I love about this movie, and is is a reason that I will see this many more times in my life, is by the time you get to the end, it's also a Christmas movie. Yes. I loved it. Like like I I you know there is no sense of time in the movie like, like like time of year or anything and then all of a sudden it's christmas eve and you get the big sales day and they come together on christmas eve and they're and it's just like 
oh, I love a Christmas movie, and and I love like a like a hidden Christmas movie. Like it, this, I don't know that this is billed as a Christmas movie, but uh, at its at its heart, it it you know it has this ending at Christmas, and that feels very real. And when when Matichek comes back to the store and hands out the the Christmas bonuses, and I also love that the Christmas bonus thing is seeded earlier, right? About like when you get that bonus check before you open it you're a millionaire because it could be anything in there. Yeah. <laughs> and then once you open it, it moves from possibility to react to like, to like multiple possibilities to reality. And then you see them get Christmas bonus checks and you're brought back to that moment. Um, and then the, you get the great bit where the new, um, the new delivery boy, you know, Matichek doesn't know him, but gives him, gives him money. And, uh, and Pepe looks at it and says, that's too much. <laughs> right. Cause now, cause now he is elevated beyond that. And I, I really, I, I loved, I loved the Christmas of it. Well, you know, I, I'm really glad you focused on, on that comment about, you know, before you open it, you're a millionaire because that really, you know, and of course that relates to the correspondence, but it, but it really, it really says a lot about the nature of, I talked earlier about imagination. It really says a lot about the nature of imagination and reality and, and how in a sense, part of what we, we have to do is we have to figure out as we go through life, how we reconcile those two things, how we reconcile the way we imagine ourselves to be, the way we imagine other people to be and the way that we actually are. It kind of gets back to your comments about, you know, the long-term prospects for Karolik and Clara are probably pretty good because they've already faced disillusionment with each other. They've already faced the idea that what I imagined was the case is not actually the case, but now I need to readjust uh, my view of myself, my view of this person. So I think a lot of what this film is about, it's, it's, it's about that navigation between imagination uh, and, and reality, uh, the things that we're afraid of and the things that we desire and the things that actually happen. And I think that that is one of the strengths of the movie. And um, like, for some reason, I feel like I need to always bring up when it's a movie about a relationship, like this is, this feels so believable and real to me. Like I, I feel, and, and, and even though it's set up with beginning with this tension and knowing that because I've seen enough movies to know like, well, these two people are going to get together because that's how movies work. But he does a good job of pushing them apart early. And I, I ultimately, when we get to the end, like, uh i buy i buy that that scene and, and to me that that's a big part of a movie that's going to center around a romance or a relationship is like i want to i want to believe that these two characters really have that that it's not just that they're telling me that they, they're using words to say that they're that they love each other or that they're drawn together but like i i bought it through the the narrative through the actions through the things said and unsaid so i i just thought that was really strong in this movie and that and that is that is the real challenge that kind of every rom-com sets itself right and that is i mean what's what's interesting about the structure of this is that you know in the rom-com right you you have you have some kind of a meet cute and then the relationship burgeons and then something terrible happens somebody there's a misunderstanding there's a misstep uh it appears as though they are never going to be together and then somehow something they miraculously come come back together i mean it's 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 interesting how kind of lubich plays with that structure because um they don't really have a meet cute oh you, you know it's 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 the it's it's the meetings through the through the letters so and then they have the kind of the the falling out very early on in the relationship compared to the normal arc and then you have to spend a lot more time building up this notion of and we first of all you spent a lot of time on falling apart they spent a lot of time falling apart because they spent a lot of time insulting each other and then the question is how do they how do you actually believably 
bring bring them bring them back together. Well, and I also think um, there is equity between those two characters as a viewer to the extent that like I don't like I love Jimmy Stewart, so like I'm going to be on his side. But I also look at Claire and I'm like I don't disagree with her either. Like like it's not it's it's not a matter of specifically one of them needs to get over something for them to be together but it's like they both need to come to realize some things so i so i do think that that because that sometimes is also a problem with a with the romantic comedy is the you know is there is there one is, is it uh, off balance where there's one person who's clearly the like this is the this is the good person and we need to fix the other person or somehow get them to realize something and this i feel like there is I feel like that's pretty equitable from the jump. I'm I'm drawn to both of them, and um, and I wouldn't ne- if if it wasn't a movie, I wouldn't nece- necessarily say, oh, those two people are going to get together. But because it's a movie, I know they are, and I'm interested in seeing how is Lubitsch going to get us there. You know, they they are both in their own ways snobs, and they're both in their own way idealists. And part of what has to happen is the, the snobbery has to be chastised, and the idealism has to be tempered. Uh, because you can't have the kind of relationship that you think you're having through the letters. Um, doesn't mean you can't have a relationship. You have to figure out how to have a rather different one. Uh, any other things you want to talk about with this movie? Well, you know, earlier on, I said, you know, if I if I take a feminist perspective on this film, I might have some some critique for 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 how certain elements are handled. But I'm also thinking about a Marxist perspective. It's it's really interesting to me how the fate of these two people is connected to their economic status. It's like, you know, if Kralik loses his job, um, he's probably also gonna lose the girl. I mean, that's what Pirovich is, is, is aware of. And the fact that the whole that the whole drama is played out in a economic, in a shop uh, context, it, it interweaves, you know, something as, you know, ethereal non-substantial as love and something as realistic and nitty-gritty as money and they can pretend that they might get each other if they're each other's perfect mate but the fact is you also need to have something some money to live on and i think it's that that there's that realism that the way that every it's you could say that it's kind of tethered you can't have these romantic relationships um dis, uh, disconnected from the economic reality that you need to make a living. Um, so I, I just, I appreciate that about the film a lot. Well, that's a good point because when, when he loses his job mid movie, seemingly inexplicably, <laughs> like I, that was another moment where I was just like, wait a minute, how does this work then? <laughs> like, like I was very confused about, are we going to get like, like what's going to happen to the plot? Because you've just, you've just, done something which makes this story not work anymore how are you going to fix this i like I, as a storyteller and and i i guess and and that's where the fix is something that i could not have seen coming because i didn't see the reason for him getting fired coming so i couldn't have seen what ends up happening to matt like like i i, I just think that it's well constructed because i could even though i know this movie ends with these two people getting together or i suppose that he does a good job of complicating it, so I can't figure out exactly how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I think that the losing the job part of it is a, a big piece of that. One thing that I that a little thing that I liked in this movie, and I only noticed this because I had the subtitles on, because um, I'm not somebody who I don't pay attention to music a lot. Mm-hmm. But when they meet in the cafe and the band starts playing the song from the music box, 
Oh yes. I yes. only I only noticed it because in the subtitles it <laughs> said whatever the name of the song was playing, and I thought, oh, that's great. That's really good. that's really fantastic. <laughs> so, anything else, or should we move on? Uh, just just briefly, I want to go back to a point you made about this being a, a Christmas film and uh, suggesting a double bill of uh, Shop Around the Corner and uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Absolutely. Christmas. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, what do you have for us for next week? Well, I think we foreshadowed this at the beginning of our conversation, Sam. I think we both need to get ourselves uh, a copy of You've Got Mail. And uh, next week, we'll do a little bit of a comparison. And actually, I want to start a series on remakes. I, I want to start a series where we'll look at kind of an, a highly regarded original and then what, what does the remake look like? So we'll do, and of course, for some of our listeners, they may not remember the days when uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan uh, were the hot item, were the hot rom-com item. And Tom Hanks is the second coming of Jimmy Stewart. So it makes a lot of sense that Tom Hanks is in, in the film. So yeah, you've got Mail Nor Efron's uh, 1988 film. 98 film, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for that. I was almost going to ask you, does watching this make you want to watch You've Got Mail? But clearly it does because you've, uh, you've given us that, uh, you've given us that to watch. I'm really excited to, to watch this. Um, I, like I said, this is the kind of movie that I probably, if I saw this, you know, on a streaming service, um, You've Got Mail and Shop Around the Corner would be the thing I would probably naturally just kind of scroll past and say, oh, that one's not for me. Um, it makes me want to watch more Lubitsch. It makes me interested in some of the things you were talking about with his other movies. I want to see, I want to see more of, um, I, I just like the way he works, worked as a storyteller here. So I'm mm -hmm. interested in other things that, uh, that he's up to. Sure. Um, Thank you so much for for recommending this movie and for opening up this uh, this world of loop plan to me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I very much very much enjoyed it. This if you if you're listening and haven't seen this movie, this one is worth it. This is really really delightful to watch. Um, that is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about you've got mail in the video store. <laughs> <laughs>